This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Jesus, my prayer today for myself and for my friends who are here is that your great love would consume us, a love that surpasses understanding, would consume every area of our lives, and that the power of God that raised you from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit to work and transform would transform us. So would you take those rough areas and smooth them out? Would you take the areas where we feel alone and would you meet us there? Would you take the areas where we feel like we are sufficient on our own and would you remind us of our insufficiency apart from you? And would you at the same time remind us that with you we can do all things? and that nothing is impossible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I get to share for the next few minutes after that incredible worship time uh, some words from God about relationships. So that's what we're going to be jumping into today. When you came in, you should have gotten a program. Inside that program, there are two things you're going to want to grab. The first is the card that says Start Here. That's our connection card, so go ahead and pull that out right now. And if you're a regular part of New Life, just go ahead and put your name on that card. If you're new with us today, I want to give you an extra special welcome. So glad that you chose to join us this morning. We're so glad to have you as part of our community. Uh, And would you give us as much information as you're comfortable with so that we can connect with you? We're assuming you're here because you have some desire for connection, connection with God, connection with community. Uh, You have questions, and we want to be able to answer those. We want to meet with, uh, be able to meet those needs. We want to be able to be praying for you. We can't do that unless we know who you are and we know how to connect with you. So if you're new with us today and you give us as much information as you're comfortable with, that would be a fantastic. Uh, and if you would do that, and later on we're going to have some baskets, just drop that card in the basket, and we have a gift for you out at our Connect kiosk in the center of uh, the lobby. So make sure to stop by and grab that. The other thing you're going to want, if you are a note-taking type person, and I know a lot of you are, is to pull out the teaching notes. They're right there inside the program. That will give you some context for where we're going. Uh, if you are like my wife and you like to guess, you can try to guess the fill-in-the-blanks. Uh, And that's why we gave you pencils, because you will be wrong at least once, uh, I hope. So uh, keep you on your toes. But those notes are designed really to help you connect. They're designed uh, for you to take home and to work throughout the week through the things that we're talking about. So make sure you go ahead and and grab that. Well, today I am very excited because we are wrapping up what, in my opinion, has been a really, really incredible series and an impactful series in my marriage, and hopefully it's been an impactful series in your relationships as well. We are finishing the series called Staying in Love because we realize that God's great design for you in marriage is not just that you would stay married, uh, not just that you would, would gut it out and grit it out for the rest of your lives because that's what Christians are supposed to do, uh, but that you would actually grow in love for one another. That you would be more in love today than you were five years ago, more in love in 20 years than you are today. Uh, God's great desire for you is that you would have the kind of relationship, the kind of marriage that makes for great stories. Stories that you'd want to tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids about. And the truth is, those kinds of relationships uh, are few and far between these days. 
But in the church, it shouldn't be that way because God gives us design and directives on how to have incredible marriages where we stay in love. And so we've been going through this series, Staying in Love. And the first week, we talked about the reality that if we want to stay in love over the course of a lifetime, we need to make love a verb. We need to be loving and act loving towards one another. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes. It's an action that we do every single day of our lives. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, when that person walks in the room, when she walks in the room or he walks in the room, they are the most important person in the room. And everything that you do revolves around how can I meet their needs. He says, be in submission to them. Put yourself below them. It's like having a king or a queen or a president or a rock star walk in the room and you think, man, how can I meet your needs? That's what God wants us to do every time our spouse walks in, your significant other walks in. Make love a verb. And then the next week we said that the reality is that we all cheat. There are not enough hours in the day to do all the things that we want to do. And consequently, we cheat somewhere to meet the time demands that we have. And most of us cheat on the people we should never cheat on. Our husband, our wife, our kids. We cheat with work and we cheat on home or we cheat with our activities on home. Some of us cheat with our kids at the expense of our spouse. And we said we need to start cheating in the right places and stop cheating in the wrong places if we want to have a relationship that stays together. And then last week, Ron said, the truth is there's a lot of stuff. We have a lot of stuff in our lives and we need to pay attention to what's going on in our heart so that we can get rid of the stuff in our lives. We need to lower our stuff level and we need to... um, really look at what's going on in here, because what goes on in here affects what happens in my relationships out there. So that's where we've been, and today we're going to talk about a choice that most of us make uh, at least on a weekly basis, but some of us make this on a daily basis, and some of us make this multiple times every day. And I said to you last week that this is the topic, this is the sermon, that even if they don't change anything— this will affect, if you do it, will affect uh, your happiness in the marriage. This will affect your love for the other person. This is a choice that you can make that even if they don't change anything, and they should because God wants us to be changing and growing together, but even if they didn't do it, if you did it, it could mean the difference between staying in love and ending in disaster in your marriage. And we're going to talk about a passage, it's four short verses that most of us have heard at some point or another, probably at a wedding. You might not even have known it was in the Bible, but you've heard it somewhere. And for most of us, this passage we're going to talk about, and I know you're guessing it right now, uh, the passage we're going to talk about is like a good checklist of things in our life. What does it look like to be in love? Uh, We've heard it, we say it, my brother has a really cool tattoo of it right across his arm here to remind him what it says. He's lucky because he's buff, so he can fit it here. For me, it'd be like size eight font if I was going to try to fit the passage there. Um, but it's a, it's a reminder. And it's really good marriage advice until you get to the last verse. And the last verse that we're going to talk about, and the last verse is where we're going to spend all of our time this morning, uh, on first glance seems like horrible marriage advice. It seems really, really bad. It seems counterintuitive to everything we would say. Uh, the last verse seems like the kind of thing that we would say, you know what, that sounds good in a wedding, but that does not uh, last in reality much past the honeymoon. And for some of us, that didn't even go into the first day of the honeymoon. That is not good advice, Paul. This is why you're single. That's what we would say, Paul, because with that kind of advice, no wonder. But when we look at it a little deeper, there's a lot going on there, and we're going to really unpack this last verse of this passage, because I think God has something for us today. So let's go real quick through the first couple verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's verses 4 through 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. And Paul says this. He gives this great checklist. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love is not jealous. And so right now you're checking through your head, am I patient? Am I kind? When was the last time I got jealous? Oh boy, that's not good. Love does not brag and it's not arrogant. We think, oh, I'm doing pretty good on that. I don't brag too much. I'm not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. And you're checking and thinking, what does that mean to be unbecoming? Well, I don't know. So we'll just give us a, an A. We'll check that off. Sure. I'm very becoming today. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong that has been suffered. Oh boy, when someone does something to me, what do I do? Do I hold on to that or do I just let it go? And we're checking through thinking, I've got some things maybe I need to let go of today. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It does not rejoice in things that are evil or bad or wrong. Our society likes to call good bad and bad good, but love, the way that God defines it, says that we call good good even if it's unpopular. We do not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices in the truth. And so it looks pretty good. And Paul's writing to, we're going to stop there because we're going to the other part in a second. And now you're thinking, uh, you forgot. I didn't forget. I practiced. <laughs> Paul's talking to this group of people in a city called Corinth. And it's not just for married people. I want to get the context for us straight. Paul's not just talking to married couples here. We're going to be talking to, uh, into relationships, your significant other, your husband, your wife, your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time. But Paul in 1 Corinthians is talking to a whole community of Christ followers, of Jesus followers. So if you're single today, here's what I would say to you. The things we're talking about in terms of relationships, you should be translating into friendships. Uh, for all of us, we should be translating these into our Uh, church relationships, our friendships, our working relationships, all the things that we do, uh, our family, our roommates, our kids. The things we're talking about today have a huge impact on the way that we relate and interact with our kids over the course of a lifetime. So please don't check out. If you're a single person today or you're thinking, man, this has nothing for me, there's something for you because Paul's talking to all Christians. We're just going to happen to focus on some, uh, some married stuff this morning. And so we go through this checklist. And uh, what I've heard people say before with 1 Corinthians 13 is just put your name there. Where it says love, just put your name. So I'll pick on Mark, our worship leader. Mark is, um, Mark is patient. Mark is kind. I couldn't even get it started. Sorry. Uh, Mark doesn't brag. Mark's not self-seeking. Uh, Mark would say to his wife, May you are the most important person in the room every time you walk in. Mark doesn't hold a record of wrongs. Uh, Mark is not easily angered, and I know that Heather's over there giving a big amen because she's so excited about her husband. She's like, amen, he is not. He doesn't hold a grudge. Uh, Hopefully he doesn't hold a grudge because I'm using him as an example today. Um, And he's bigger than me. So what I would suggest for you, because we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking the first part of the scripture, is to go home this week, look at that, and put your name in where love is. Say, am I these things? In my relationship, am I these things? And go through the checklist and start to ask that question. And if you're not these things, start asking God, how can I become these things? How can I become more patient? How can I become more kind? Uh, How can I become more humble? Because humility is key in relationships. So put your name there and start to ask, how can I become these things? And we would say, so far, so good, Paul. All of these things look really nice. Uh, I am glad that you're talking about these. These all have a lot to do with love. And then we get to verse 7, and verse 7 is the sticking point. Verse 7 is that point where, again, we're really, we're understanding more and more why Paul was probably single, because Paul has no idea what he's talking about. Because we get to verse 7, and we say, Paul, if I do that, if I do what you're about to tell me to, 
It's paramount to me being an ostrich sticking my head in the sand. And one of two things is going to happen. One, my spouse is going to blow right past me and leave me in the dust. Or two, my spouse is going to run over me. If I do what you're telling me to do in verse 7, one of those two things is going to happen. And so we start to pull back when Paul says, verse 7, he says, look, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Like, what does that mean? We get stuck on one word in that sentence. It's not bears. It's not hopes. It's not believes. It's not trust. It's not things. We get stuck on the word all. All is where we have some trouble. Wait a minute. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. It bears all things. It endures all things. Now, wait a minute, Paul. There's no way love could do that. If I do that, I'm going to get taken advantage of. If I do that, and if I go first in that, what if they don't reciprocate? Paul, what are you trying to say here? And I think what Paul's trying to say is this, and we're going to spend some time talking about it this morning. In every relationship, there's a gap that occurs. And on one side of the gap, we have the things that we expect of the other person. We'll call them our expectations. I expect certain things from you. And on the other side of the gap, we have what we're calling our behaviors. On the expectations is what I think either uh, I communicate to you very clearly, this is what I expect you to say or do or believe or feel. This is the way I expect you to act. These are our expectations, what we expect from you. That's one side. And we all have expectations. Like I say, they're spoken or they're unspoken, but we all have them. When my wife and I got married, I had one expectation. I had many expectations, but one of them was this. In my family, my dad did the outside work. He mowed the lawn, he edged, he weeded, he did the outside stuff, and my mom cleaned the bathrooms. So when I got married, I expected that I would do the outside work and Maria would clean the bathrooms. And we got married and moved into an apartment that had an HOA, and they did all the outside work, and I expected Maria to clean the bathrooms, because I had done my part. So I just sat back, and I enjoyed a great marriage for about 30 seconds. And then my expectations changed. We all have them. Sometimes we communicate them. Sometimes we don't communicate them. But think through your expectations. You cook, I'll do the dishes. Uh, You take the kids to school, I'll pick the kids up from school. You make the money, I'll spend the money. We all all have them, um, you know. I expect some sort of intimate encounter with you in regular intervals throughout our marriage. That's an expectation that that men have, and sometimes uh, women catch on too. Uh, You know, we have all of these expectations in marriage. And we don't always say them, but we all have them. So what are your expectations? Just be thinking through this as we're talking. I know I've got some expectations for my husband or for my wife, for my boyfriend, my girlfriend. What are your expectations? Have you communicated them? And then on the other side of this gap, we have their behaviors. And the behaviors are what they actually do or think or feel or believe in any given situation. I realized that my expectation about um, yard work in the bathrooms did not line up with the behaviors that were happening, and there was a gap in between in our relationship. And the question for us this morning is, what do we put in the gap 
when it occurs. Because what we put in the gap is going to determine, in large part, how we interact on a regular basis. Every time a gap comes up, we have two choices that come up in our head. We can choose to believe the best about the person, about their actions, about their thoughts, about their inaction. Or we can choose to assume the worst. Here's how this plays out in our lives usually. I asked you to take out the trash, and you left for work and did not take out the trash. That's because you do not care about me. You expect me to do everything. Uh, You think just because you go to work, you shouldn't have to do anything around the house. I can't believe I married a slob and a jerk. You should be a garbage man, not a teacher. Uh, We have that, or we can believe the best. I know he meant to take out the garbage. He probably forgot. Maybe he took out a different garbage can that I don't know about. (laughs) Maybe he's planning to take out the garbage when I get home. Or how about this one? She overspent the the clothing budget again by $2. Well, she probably just didn't figure in tax. That happens sometimes. Um, It was an accident. Maybe she bought something for me that I don't know about. That's fun. Or she's a clothes horse. She's greedy. She doesn't care about our family budget. I knew she didn't want to take Financial Peace University last semester with me. (laughs) Dave Ramsey would be so disappointed in her. (laughs) Nothing has changed in here. We expected something. They did something else. The only thing that changes is what we put in between. When we had Maddie, our three and a half year old, we were in the hospital and we were about to check out and I had gone down to get some coffee because I was awake and I had a newborn and I needed some coffee. And I came back upstairs and the nurse was in the room with Maddie and Maria asking some questions to Maria. When were you born? When were you guys married? And she's answering all the questions, just great. And then the question came to, um, when was Kevin born? And she paused for a second and she looked at me And she said, he was born on February 14th, to which I just smiled and shook my head. Nope, I sure wasn't. And she looked at me as if to say, "Uh, please help me. And I just smiled and sipped my coffee. And she said, he he was born on February 21st. And I just got a big smile on my face. Nope, sure wasn't. At which point she looked at me and said, you better answer this question or else you'll be staying at the hospital with a kid and I'll be going home for a little R&R. So I told the nurse, I was born on February 24th. That's my birthday, February 24th. Uh, I am accepting presents early, by the way. Uh, February 24th. In that moment, I could do two things. I could assume the worst. My wife is so inconsiderate. She never remembers anything. She doesn't care about the things that are important to me. Or I could believe the best. Um, She just delivered a human child and maybe has some other stuff going on today. I don't know. I don't, you know. Uh, or, you know, I could, I could believe what I chose to believe, which is that I am such an incredible husband that she equates uh, the most romantic loving day in our nation with the day that I was born, Valentine's Day. And so that's what I, I chose to believe. Um, we can, what we put in here is incredibly important. And here's what happens. Every time an expectation does not line up with a behavior, in our minds we immediately think something. 
And the minute we start to think it, it becomes like a convict that escaped from its cell. And it's, it's trying to find its way out of the jail. Sometimes it comes out of the jail through your mouth. Sometimes it comes out through your eyes by rolling your eyes at the person or sighing under your breath or slumping your shoulders. The minute we think something, the minute we assume the worst, it's trying to get out. It doesn't want to stay here. It wants to come out. And it comes out here. It comes out here. It comes out somewhere. And when it comes out, it breaks down the relationship. So what is it that that determines what comes out of here? What is it that determines what we put in the gap? Well, of course, it's what we see, what the person does or doesn't do. And that's part of what determines what goes in the gap. But bigger than that, more than that, the thing that determines what goes in the gap is who we are inside. What's going on in my heart when that thing happens? What does that thing bring up for me from my past? How was I treated by other people that I trusted in my life? And how does that play into this situation here? Am I having a good day? Am I having a bad day? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I feeling insecure about something or am I feeling secure? What's going on in here more often than not affects what comes out of here. And that's why it was so important what Ron said last week. We need to guard our heart. We need to get rid of the stuff in our lives. Because if we don't get rid of that stuff in our lives, it's going to find its way out. I want to ask you to be real brave and just answer the question for yourself. When a gap occurs, which way do you go? More often than not, when a gap occurs, do you choose to believe the best or do you choose to assume the worst? And just take a second and think through that. I'm going to give you probably two or three seconds. And uh, if you want to, you can even underline it real light so nobody can see. You know, I tend to believe the best about him or I tend to assume the worst about her. Go ahead and take a second. There will always be a gap in relationships. Anyone who's been married longer than 30 minutes knows that. But couples who learn how to stay in love over the course of a lifetime make it a habit, either by just naturally being this kind of person or by forcing themselves and training themselves. They make it a habit to believe the best all the time. All the time, no matter what. She's not impatient, she's just intense. Uh, you know, he's not insensitive. He's just focused, you know. What we put in the gap is going to go a long way in determining what happens over the course of a lifetime. So here's the reality that Paul wants us to remember. Uh, You can assume the worst every time the gap comes up. You can assume the worst. And guess what? You'll probably be right more often than not. More often than not, he did not take out another trash can. He just forgot because he is not intense. He's just focused. He's just focusing and he's not insensitive. You can choose to assume the worst and you'll probably be right, but you will be miserable. Or you can choose to believe the best. And sometimes you're going to be wrong, but you'll be building love in your relationship. And we'll talk about what to do when you're wrong in a little bit. But would you rather be right or happy in your relationship? Would you rather be right and push them away or every once in a while be wrong and pull them close? 
Let's look again at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 about love. I want to break this down a little bit. He says, love bears all things. And to bear with, in the ancient language, means to cover up or to conceal or to cancel or to hide. He says, when you love someone, you conceal, you cover up, you hide their faults. Now, he's not talking about abuse or something that's hurting you. What he's talking about is those little idiosyncrasies that really bug you. You know, it was real cute in the beginning when she did this, but now it just drives me crazy. It was so fun when he used to tell stories uh, because they just went on and on forever, but now it's just incredibly boring. He says, love bears with, it covers up, it conceals faults and failures. It does not put them on display. Have you ever been around a couple and they're continually putting each other down or pointing out each other's faults? I had a, a buddy in, uh, growing up, and he was an incredible storyteller. He used to tell stories that would just blow your mind. And one day I walked up to a group of kids. We were in junior high, and he was telling a story about a wakeboarder. And this wakeboarder was amazing. This wakeboarder could do flips. He could jump the wake. He could do everything. And I was a wakeboarder, so I wanted to know who this guy was so that I could somehow grow and learn from him and become like him. And I found out at the end of the story, I was the wakeboarder he was talking about. I couldn't do that stuff. But in his mind, I could. How many of you are married to a storyteller that every time they get in a group and they tell a story, they tend to um, elaborate in certain places? And then you have the tendency to want to correct them in front of the group. No, no, honey, that's not how it was. No, it was actually this. It wasn't 10 people. It was three people. No, honey, it wasn't afternoon. It was morning. Do not point at each other. I saw that over there. We're going to get to love, love forgives all things in just a minute. I have some pastorly advice if you're that kind of person who puts down your spouse in public, who's critiquing them in public, who's telling stories and jokes at their expense. And here it is, and I'm going to do it in my, my most compassionate, caring pastor voice. Don't do that anymore. It is mean, and it is wrong, and you are breaking your relationship. Your story is not that good. Do not put them down in public. Cover up their little idiosyncrasies. Cover up their faults. Put their best qualities on display. Love bears with all things. Then he says, love believes and it trusts all things. And basically what that means is that it it assumes the best all the time. It assumes the best. Ladies, when your husband is running late and he's not home in time for dinner, you can choose to say this to yourself. Well, obviously, he did not listen to Pastor Kevin's sermon on choosing to cheat because he's cheating on me again at work and he's going to get it when he gets home. You can choose that and you might be right, but you won't be happy. Or you can choose this. I know he's really trying. And I know he's trying to unlearn a habit that he's been in for the last 20 years, and I know it's going to take time to unlearn that habit. And I bet he's probably having a hard day at work, and that's why he had to stay late. And I wonder what I can do or say when he gets home to show him how much I love him. Same gap. He's running late. He said he'd be home for dinner, and he's not home for dinner. But what you put in here makes all the difference. Love believes and hopes all things. And I know that's a scary thing to do because the truth is, what happens if you're wrong? 
What happens if you hope all things and believe all things? And the truth is, he really was a no-good jerk. And the truth is, he really was going out on you, or she was going out on you, or something like that. It's a scary thing. But I want to tell you, to love and to maintain love means to hope for the best in all things. Believe the best in all things. And then finally, Paul says, love endures all things. When I was a kid, I grew up in Southern California, and my uh, group of friends went on a bike ride from Azusa down to Newport Beach, and we were going to have dinner at Newport Beach. It was a kid's and a dad's bike ride, and then the moms were going to pick us up in the minivans. We were going to have a little dinner. We were going to minivan back home to Glendora, where I grew up. Well, we started this ride in Azusa, and about two miles in, I realized that my old rickety um, mountain bike that could barely coast was really not the best choice for a 40-mile bike ride. And my brother, my twin brother, and I began to fall behind because our bikes were older, and uh, let's be honest, we weren't the biggest kids there. And we began to fall behind the crowd. And my dad stayed back with us. And my dad got on our little bikes and rode them and let us ride on his beach cruiser. Uh, that went a lot better. The idea of enduring all things means that when you start to fall behind when things get tough with you, when you feel like you're being left in the dust, someone who loves you stays behind with you, waits with you. They get left in the dust too, rather than leaving you alone. And Paul says love endures all things. In our society, it's easy to cut and run when things get tough, but Paul says don't do it. If you want to stay in love over the course of a lifetime, when things get tough, you get close. You walk with them, you care for them, you don't let them go. You pick up the bicycle and you walk with it if you have to, but you reach the goal together and you reach the goal at the end. And couples who have done this over time, when things get tough, couples who have drawn together, they'll tell you that was the time when they grew more in love for each other and they grew closer to God than any other time in their lives. And couples uh, who have had that same situation where one person starts to fall behind and the other person just cuts and runs will tell you that was probably the defining moment when they left, either emotionally, mentally, or physically. So I want to ask you, how are you doing at bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things? Maybe your spouse is really good at it. Maybe they always believe the best, or they usually believe the best, but maybe you tend to assume the worst. Maybe every time something comes up, your spouse, your husband, your wife, they go positive and you go negative. Well, I want to talk to you for a second about that. Every time you go negative, here's what you're communicating to them. You're not good enough. No matter how hard you try, you'll never meet what I expect of you. There's always a gap and you're always coming up short. And what I've seen over and over again in marriages is that when one spouse chooses to assume the worst, the other spouse usually falls to that spot. And becomes the worst. But if you choose to believe the best, what I found is that your spouse will usually rise up to the occasion. Because there's a deep longing that we have for acceptance. I can guarantee you she does not wake up in the morning thinking, how can I disappoint you today? He doesn't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I let my wife and my family down today? He wakes up in the morning wanting to do it wanting to be the man you want him to be. She wakes up wanting to be the wife that you want her to be. And every time you choose to believe the best, you tell them, I believe you are the person that I want you to be. And more often than not, over time, he'll become that man. She'll become that woman. 
here's my disclaimer, and I told you I would give you a disclaimer. This doesn't mean that we don't have difficult conversations. It doesn't mean that we let everything slide. It does mean that after those difficult conversations happen, and then two days later he does the same thing again, you don't just add that on to the list of things. You choose to believe the best. You choose to believe, you know what, that habit's going to take some time to break, and I'm going to walk with him in it. You choose to believe, you know what, she didn't mean to roll her eyes at me again for the hundredth time. Her eyes just naturally twitched that direction. (laughs) Jesus sums it up this way in Luke chapter 6. He says, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. When you mess up, when you don't meet the mark, when you don't meet expectations, how do you want her to treat you? How do you want him to treat you? Do you want him to believe the best or assume the worst? Do that for him and your marriage will be better. Happy couples have learned how to believe the best all the time, every time, in every situation, and it makes all the difference in the world. And as we close this series up, I want to tell you, I think there are at least two reasons why this series is so incredibly important for us. One is because God loves you. God loves gave you marriage as an incredible gift, and he does not want you to have a mediocre marriage. He doesn't want you to have a marriage that you just survive. He wants your marriage to thrive. And the things we're talking about are things that ensure a marriage that thrives. God wants to be at the center of your life, and God wants to be at the center of your marriage. And there are some of us here this morning who have never put God at the center of our lives who have never put God at the center of our marriages. And I want to tell you, God couldn't love you more than he does. God loved you so much that while you were separated from him, when you were far away from him, when you were sinning, which the Bible basically defines as hurting yourself, hurting others, and hurting God. When you were doing that, Jesus Christ died on the cross. And then God raised him from the dead, breaking the power of sin in your life and calling you back to himself. And if you're here this morning and you've been checking out God and you've been uh, checking out this whole thing because your relationship is really struggling or you just have some questions about life and faith, I want to tell you, God couldn't love you more than he does. And right now, today, he's calling you to himself. I was praying this morning that for the people who are here today who aren't following after Jesus right now, that you would sense God's incredible love and it would overwhelm you and that you would respond to him today by giving your life to him. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance when I pray to repeat a simple prayer after me where you invite God to be the leader of your life and to follow him on this journey because it's only with his power living in you that you can have the kind of marriage that he created you for. So that's the first reason why this is so important. God wants you to have an amazing marriage. The second reason is because amazing marriages are so rare in our society. And the truth is, when a couple is living this out, when a couple is growing in love, Other people see that and they're drawn to it. Isn't that true? When you see a couple who's really doing it, there's a couple in our church, Charlie and Yvonne. They've been married for 62 years and they're more in love now than they were 62 years ago. I love being around them. I'm drawn to them. I love the way he serves her. I love the way that they interact with each other. They're an incredible marriage. They're a marriage to tell our grandkids about. We're drawn to those types of people. And I can tell you, your coworkers, your friends, your family are going to be drawn to you if you have this type of marriage. And they're going to ask, what is it about you that makes your marriage like this? And then you'll be able to say, it's the power of God in my life. I would say that a healthy marriage is probably the best tool that you have to share the good news of Jesus with your friends if you're married. Because it's the thing they see most often. And so it's incredibly important that you have a good marriage so that God will be glorified. And God would be honored.
So you have those connect cards with you. I want you just to pull those out and look at it. On the back, I have some putting it into practice, some ways to apply uh, the message. And actually, uh, I put down the main points from all four of our sermons because I don't expect you to do everything we've talked about for the last four weeks right now. What I do hope is that God's given you one thing to work on. So I want to go through those real quick. And as we go through them, just think through, what do I want to do this week? What is it that I've heard over the course of the past month that makes me think this is the thing that I want to work on? The first thing is today. I'm going to choose to believe the best every time I experience a gap this week. I'm going to make that choice. If today's message really hits you, I want you to mark that on your connection card so we can be praying for you. I want you to mark it on your teaching notes so you can be praying into it and you can be doing it. Or maybe last week's sermon really hit you and you know you need to reduce some of the stuff level in your life and you're going to work on reducing some of that stuff level. Would you just mark that down? For some of you, the sermon over the series that hit you more than anything else was the one about cheating. And you realize you've been cheating on your significant other and you need to fix that. If that's the one thing that God's been putting on your heart, would you mark down that you're going to choose to cheat in some area of life so you can focus on your significant other? And then for some of you, the idea of making love a verb is the one that really hits you. And you really want to make love a verb this week. If that's you, go ahead and mark that. And again, I don't want you to mark everything because you can't do everything. Pick one thing. What's the one thing God's been speaking to you? And then just mark that down. And if what I said about becoming a follower of Jesus has hit you, and you've never made that decision, uh, we're going to pray in just a second. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. You can mark on your connection card that you're doing that so we can connect with you. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, you become part of a family, and you're not in this alone. We want to walk with you on this journey. We want to pray for you. We want to give you some resources. So if you uh, want to give your life to Christ today for the first time, would you mark that on your card? And if at one point you were close to God, but now you're far away from him, you've just wandered away and you want to come back to him, you can mark down, I'm rededicating my life to Christ, and we'll connect with you this week. Would you join me as we pray? Holy Spirit, even as I'm praying right now, I ask that you would um, be giving each of us the one thing you want us to work on. As we've thought back over the last month, what's that one thing, Lord, that you have for each of us? Would you give us the courage to do it? Would you give us the strength to do it? Would you remind us of your power that raised Jesus from the dead and that that's the same power living within us as we follow after you? That our relationship is not hopeless, but that there's a new day dawning, that you can do incredible things. And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, you've never said, I'm going to follow him on this journey of life, today is your day. God loves you and he wants you to come into a relationship with him If you're here this morning and at one point you were close to God, but right now you're far from him and you want to come back, I want to tell you, God loves you so much and he wants you back. He wants to call you to himself. He wants to walk with you through this life. So if either of those two things describes you, I want you to pray this simple prayer after me. You can repeat it right where you're sitting. You can just say it in your head. Say it in your heart. You can say these words, Lord Jesus, I know that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And I know you rose again to break the power of sin in my life and to draw me back to God. And today I accept your offer of salvation. Today I'd say that I want to walk with you in life. I want to become your follower. Today I say I want this I want you, Lord. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so glad to walk with you, Jesus. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.